Welcome all. Hello, hello. Good afternoon on this Friday. Thanks to all those who are committed to this Friday afternoon slash evening session we've got going on for our most recent edition, our October edition here of the NICPEED What's New, or sorry, NICPEED AP Collaborative that will also be broadcast on the What's New in APE podcast. Plus it will be um, on the NICPEED Facebook group where we're live right now on the NICPEED Facebook page and also will be posted to the NICPEED uh, YouTube. So thank you all for joining us. I am sharing my screen. So greetings all. I am Melissa Bittner and I am an associate professor at CSU Long Beach and I am also the NICPEED membership subcommittee chair. I'm welcoming you all today. We have a great session, though I am biased. We have a great session to discuss um, some lessons learned in the first few years of teaching. We're going to have um, Elsie and Ivan, who are both at Los Angeles Unified School District, and they're going to chat about 20 minutes or so at, from the perspective of AP practitioners and what they've learned in their first few years out in the field. And then we will have Lainey and Samantha, who are both in higher ed, and we'll chat about things and lessons that they've learned in their first few years in higher education. After that, we will open it up for the audience for any questioning. So thanks so much for joining us. Big thanks as always to our membership subcommittee, Daniel Musser, the Colorado AP Conference Director, uh, Jay Jung from University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, Heidi Ambrosius from Moreno Valley Unified School Districts. I'm Melissa Bittner. And Lainey, Lainey's doing double duty. She's from CSU Chico, but also will be serving um, on this panel today. So to begin, I would like to, I have the pleasure of introducing Elsie Gutierrez. She uh, did her undergrad, her credential, and is currently working on her master's uh, at CSU Long Beach. So I know her very well. <laughs> and she is also one of our master scholars on uh, our OSEP grant project, CAPE. So very excited to hear what Elsie uh, will share with you. She's been an APE specialist now in Los Angeles Unified School District. And Elsie, you're entering your, you just started your third year. Yeah, I just started my third year with the same five schools, same caseload, which has been great. All right. So Elsie, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and share. Okay, sure. So um, yeah, like Dr. Bittner said, it's my third year. Um with LA Unified and just going back to my first year, um, I guess one out of the four bullet points, the first one I'm gonna start off with is tackle one task at a time. Um, there were so many things I wanted to do, so many creative lessons, so many uh, individualized behavior management plan like I did back in undergrad. And, you know, I was still, you know, learning how the IEP process. So I had to just tackle one task at a time. Sometimes you want to do so many things, but 
there's only so many hours in the day and I would catch myself at home like, oh my goodness, I'm still working on assessment plans or, you know, whatever it may be. So just tackle one task at a time um, and then be patient with yourself. Um, I felt like I was thriving at one school, but then I was drowning at another school or, you know, I was doing really well on Mondays, but then on Fridays I was cat playing catch up. So um, just be patient with yourself and understand what more years to come. I mean, it's my third year, but I feel like I'm becoming a little more established and understanding myself as a teacher. So um, just be patient and um, you'll be able to take on a little more each year um, and stay true to what you've learned. I remember not even the first year, the first maybe three months, I felt like, do I know what I'm do even doing? Did I learn anything? Because I just felt overwhelmed with you know, everything that we have to do as an AP teacher, we teach, uh, collaborate, um, get to know everyone at each school, all the all the kids' names. It was a lot coming at me at once, but I had to take a step back. I'm like, okay, you're prepared for this. You know what to do. Like, you know, what? just go back to, to those classes where, um, you know, you were asking all the right questions. You, you know what you're doing. Um, I think it was, you just are a little hard on yourself at times. Um, and you are the specialist, so we're just be prepared to take on any task people trust you. So just trust yourself and then um, build connections with other professionals in the field. So I'm lucky enough that I work in L.A. Unified where most I want to say a lot of the teachers in um, that district come from Long Beach. So I think that's super, super cool that we have. You know, um, I have at least 10 people in my phone that I can text and say, hey, this is going on with me. Can you help me? Or um, have you ever been in this situation? So it's uh, really nice just to still be connected. I mean, I see Ivan all the time at, um, you know, on um, our, our group meetings. So just be connected and um, not even just at your district meetings with others um, on the IEP team. So just build connections out. People are always willing to help. And um Lastly, each year you'll learn more about yourself as an AP specialist. Sometimes when I remember when I was observing other AP teachers, I was like, I want to be like them or I want to teach how they're teaching. But everyone's so different and you just you're your you have your own style of teaching and um being just your your genuine self, really the kids, the kids can see that. So um you just become more confident with with each year. Um and yeah, that was my my big piece of advice as a first, well, now third year, but as a first year teacher that I, I can go back and say, these are the things that I've learned. Yeah, Elsie, share a little bit about your caseload. How many students? And I know you do a lot yeah. of preschool. Why don't you chat a little about that? Sure. So I work at five schools. I have one middle school, three preschools, and one elementary school. Um, I do have a large case of uh well, I wouldn't say large case of preschool, but um, adaptive PEs embedded into the PALS preschool uh, for all learners program. So at each school, there's about three, three classes of preschoolers with about 10 kids. And I'm at three schools. So that's close to 100 kids that I that I see. And that be can become overwhelming because not all of them have APE, but I'm still providing those services. So that's something um, that I had to learn, like, I'm I'm serving seeing students that don't have AP. That was kind of different for me. Um, and I have um, from I have a Mott severe class, so that's that was pretty interesting. Sometimes, 
uh, I've never observed a Montsevier class and I had never observed a preschool class. So that was very, very different for me the first year going in. Um, and I want to say I have about now 40, 42 on my caseload that ends up being so much more at the end because I have so many incoming preschoolers. Um, and now my kids that are in middle school, I believe the majority of them I've had since sixth grade. So they've been with me since the start. Um, and it's just crazy to think back. Wow. I, I, you're, you're getting taller than me. Your voice is changing. Um, but I, I love it. I get to see them grow. And, um, I, I really like the, the district that I'm at. I, I got so much support there. Um, and it was an easy transition from, um, you know, finishing the credentials into now being a specialist. And Elsie, maybe what's something that you didn't learn at university that you had to like pick up in that first year on the job? Uh, getting to know Wellagent. Um, mm. I think okay, so. Wellagent's the learning management system in LAUSD. So yeah. like some people might have SACE or others. So it's, yeah, it's a learning management system. I mean, now it's pretty easy, but I was, I just didn't know like exactly what I was doing. I had to learn very quick. And then um, session notes. I don't know. I honestly, I was like, did I even, did we even go over session notes? But um, I, it, it, you become so behind with your session notes and um, staying organized. Well, what did I teach this day? Or, you know, that, that first year it was session notes, IEPs, assessment reports, uh, catching up on students' minutes. But I'm um, definitely a well agent and session notes and inputting um, minutes and and notes for all forty of your kids each <laughs> month. That that was that <laughs> that was very time consuming. Okay, yeah. So maybe the the paperwork. Paper, that was maybe work. something that surprised you a little bit about the job because I understand like undergrads typically think, oh, I'm going to do a hundred percent of my time direct service, but in reality, yeah, it's not it's so much. Not. <laughs> and then when I thought about paperwork, I thought I was going to just write PLPs and my goals, and that was it. I didn't, really, I didn't, I didn't expect everything else that came up after that. Um, but you know, you just, you, you learn how to maximize your time when you're at work and, um, it becomes easier and easier, but definitely, um, well, agent. All right. Thank you so much for sharing, Elsie. Uh, next, I have the, the pleasure of introducing Ivan Reyes Acosta. He, another Long Beach State grad. He did his undergrad with us, his credential, and now he's back. Uh, pursuing his uh, master's in APE as well. And Ivan also works at LAUSD. Ivan, remind me, are you in your second year there? My uh, third year. As oh, well. Also your third year. Okay, great. So you'll go ahead and have the floor and please share what are some things that you learned in your first few years working as an APE practitioner? Yeah, so um uh, again, I've been there for about three years. Uh, it's been an awesome, great, uh, great time there at LAUSD. Um, like Elsie mentioned, there's a lot of support and everything. So um, going in there as much as you kind of are, you know, it's your first teaching job and everything. You do kind of feel uh, a little bit overwhelmed. You're kind of there, you know, out of school, finally by yourself. You have this caseload and you're kind of like, oh, I have to do this all by myself now. And, you know, luckily you have support and you have help and 
um, there's people that you know you're able to stay in, in contact with to to help you kind of establish establish yourself and um, you know get things going. Um, so one of the the main things that I I kind of got from the very beginning was um, pretty much establishing a routine. Um, I feel like that was maybe one of the most important parts for the classes. Um, it it provo provides like a, a, some sort of sense of stability, um, not only for the, the kids, but even for yourself. Um, so for example, uh, every, every single day, we have sometimes a, the same warm-up songs, the same closure, and it's something that the students are familiar with. Um, it kind of jumpstarts them. They, they get engaged from the very get-go. Um, they know that what it is that they have to do. And um, along with the routine, also being able to, you know, set the schedule that we do at the beginning of class. And it kind of provides comfort for, for some of the students um, to be able to know, uh, you know, what it is that we're going to be doing um, throughout the class. And um, when, it's, when it's that routine, um, the class kind of flows a little bit, a little more easily. Um, and especially with the behavioral expectations, when you're consistent and you follow a routine with that, um, you know, a checkout uh, card at the very end of class, uh, students eventually buy into it. Sometimes the most chaotic classes, you can kind of see the, the difference. A couple weeks in, um, they start realizing, hey, if I want to get my sticker at the end of class, I'm going to have to participate, you know, during the parts that maybe I don't want, really want to. Um, and, you know, over time, they, they, they buy into it. Um, another thing is be prepared for anything. Anything could happen, um, whether it be that, you know, your space that you're going to be in is gets taken up. There's recess going on outside. The multipurpose room is being used for a book fair or for lunch or whatever. Um, you know, you always kind of have to have a plan B. Um, Fortunately uh, for me, what I what I love to have with me is my iPad. Um, when I started off during COVID, um, that's when I did my student teaching, and I, that first semester was was kind of during COVID. So I had a lot of like different slides, different uh, videos for kids to follow along. So it's kind of one of those quick things of like, okay, we don't have equipment today, or we can't use equipment, we can't go outside, we have very small space. This is what we can do, and you know, you kind of have to be prepared to, you know pivot very, very, very fast uh, sometimes. Um, and sometimes even with behaviors. Um, I know there's times where you might have this great lesson, you might have a whole obstacle course, and sometimes the students aren't there to do it. And, you know, sometimes, again, you're gonna have to change your lesson a little bit, um, whether it be changing the lesson completely, um, stopping the kids and, you know, re-explaining what it is that we have to do, um reiterating expectations um that's that's one of the the big things uh the next one is that i would definitely say is take take time to get to know people at your schools um it's definitely great to be able to collaborate with a lot of the other professionals uh you know involved in the iep um in the team uh, it's very easy to be able to collaborate with them sometimes we'll work on goals that are similar uh, get different feedback from other professionals uh ot pt um, even speech, uh, to see different uh, maybe behavior strat behavioral strategies that they might use with the class that you haven't tried and, you know, it might work for you. And I think sometimes also the other people to get to know is just
just the other staff at, at the school, uh, you know, the, the front desk people, the janitor team, uh, they're always there to, to open doors for you, uh, literally in case, you know, you get locked out of somewhere in case you need an extra room. Uh, they're, they're always great to, to, you know, have on your side and uh, to just see, you know, some smiling faces when you're, especially when you're an itinerant, I'm currently at six different schools right now. And it's, it's really nice that, you know, sometimes you're kind of the, the lone person, uh, you're the only APE teacher there. So it's, you're not really established, you're bouncing around. So sometimes to just see a, a friendly face, it's nice to, you know, when you check into a school, you know, you have somebody to say hi to and, you know, check in with. And lastly, it sounds kind of corny, but, you know, have fun. Uh, I think one of the, the, the biggest things that I notice is, you know, when you're having fun, the kids a thousand percent pick up on it and they totally buy into it. Uh, especially with preschool, I also have a lot of preschool classes. And if you're, you know, they're like, okay, we're gonna do the, we're this, and we're gonna do an obstacle course today. It's so different than you know when you're animated and you're like, okay, we're gonna go and we're gonna go cross the river and you know we're gonna climb on the rocks and this and that. And they they just buy into it and it's it's fun. It makes your job a lot more fun seeing all the smiles on the kids' faces when when you're engaged, when they're engaged, and uh, it just it makes a huge difference. Uh, being able to have fun uh, with with teaching. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Ivan. Tell a little about your caseload. You said you were at six schools, and what's your caseload look like? Yes. Yeah, so right now I'm uh, also at I'm currently at six schools. Also currently doing a lot of uh, preschool classes for uh, a lot of early intervention. Um, most of my of my uh, classes are uh, autism classes, and then I do teach a middle school PE class. So I think for me, the, the biggest change was the middle school uh, class. I didn't get to observe too many. So right now they're on block schedule. So sometimes we get, we get about a little, like an hour and a half for a period. So that was probably one of the biggest shocks for me was, okay, we have this so much time. And sometimes it's, you know, it's difficult to fill in that time, but you know, establishing those routines, you're able to, to get things going. Um, the students now know what to do. Um, but yeah, so far, uh, a lot of the, the practices that we've learned, you know, being able to have, um, especially for students, uh, the classes uh, for autism classes, you know, having routines, having visuals um, are, are big helps uh, in class to, for, to have success in the class. Ivan and Elsie, you can chime in on this one too. How was it getting your schedule set your first year? <laughs> that was, uh, it was hard. It was definitely uh, a bit of a challenge. Um, I think especially that first week, you know, you're trying to reach out to all the teachers. Um, you know, it's when you have, I have about 43 students on my caseload and you have to kind of get a response from all of those teachers and, you know, try to make it all fit. We have, for example, I have a, a second period at a middle school, so you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not able to be flexible with that time. And then there's teachers that might have lunch at a certain point. Their classes might have lunch at a certain point, so it was a bit of a challenge. Um, I think after a while, you know, you kind of get a little bit of a strategy of maybe I can, you know, one day I'm going to be at this school, try to get all of them there, another day at this school, but then also still maintaining time to be able to. Uh, have makeup classes, have assessments. Um, that that was a, a big challenge at first. 
Yeah. I always feel the best strategy is the early bird gets the worm when it comes to scheduling. You want to be first. Reach out ASAP. Yeah, first week, yeah. I, I tell them, I'm like, right now my flex, my my schedule is super flexible. It's open. If you want to have a, a certain time, you have to let me know now. But yeah, yeah. I guess I had a, a little different experience. I kind of, I, I did get lucky because I was taking over a, a te another teacher's um, caseload. And so the first day of school, um, he took me to all the schools he had because he was moving to, I think he was moving to the East, to East region or, or I'm not too sure, but basically I was taking over his caseload and I just inherited the schedule he had which was kind of nice because that was one less thing I really had to worry about. Um, he introduced me to all the teachers, where he had PE, um, and introduced me to all the plant managers, which was, which was really nice because anytime I needed something, I would go to the plant managers and they would help me out. Just like Ivan was saying, op opening doors and just letting me know, hey, we're going to have a meeting in the NPR room, the multipurpose room. Um, but then when it got to the second year, I was like, okay, this schedule doesn't fit what I want. I come to realize like at, towards the end, I'm like, there are some changes I can make. So um, in my second year, the, I, I do remember, I mean, I know Dr. LeVay and Dr. Brenner probably said this so many times, you want to be the first one um, at the teacher's door before OT, PT speech. So that first day I showed up at their door because emails, I'm pretty sure they're getting so many of them. Um, and I said, hey, um, this year, this is the only time I have. I didn't give them two options because I gave them maybe two options, but I didn't show them my schedule because then they're going to say, hey, well, I see you're available at this time. Like, no, I only have these two times available. Um, you kind of have to just pick one. Um, right. You I don't want to be driving back yeah. and forth to all your schools, ping ponging all exactly. the time. Yeah. So I just gave them two possible times and then that was it. Um, I schedule all of my preschool one day um, if I have a kid that has twice a week, Tuesday, Thursday, but I try to not have anything past um, one o'clock, 12 o'clock and have that afternoon um, to do paperwork or makeup sessions or, or assessments or district meetings. So um, yeah, that, the second year was a little a little more difficult, but then this year I showed up again at the store at at their door and I said, "Hey, same time, same place." And I had the I remember one of the uh, speech the SLPs emailing me about a month and a half into school. Hi, can I see your schedule? I'm still trying to figure out mine. I'm like, well, that was nice that I I, I had done. He has to work around mine. I don't have to work around his. <gasps> Um, Elsie, Ivan, talk a little bit about the mentoring program you all have at LAUSD. That's really important, too, that when you're in your first year, you want to find a mentor, have a mentor. Yeah, so um, my mentor was the same person that I was that I took over uh, their caseload. So that was a really nice start because I get I got to meet him the very first day and um, he helped, he really did give me a kickstart uh, for maybe like the, the first two months. He was my point of contact. Um, any help that I needed through Wellagen, um, you know, every district has um, a certain way they write their goals, their present levels. So um, I had to just adapt to what 
Elliot, I'm sorry, it's really loud. <laughs> adapt to what LAUSD does. Um, but I, I really appreciated that I had that buddy system because I know in smaller districts, they don't they don't have that. Or if anything, maybe you're coming into a district where you're the only person. I don't know exactly what I would do, but he was always one call away. Um, and then I believe Ivan, we all all of the first year teachers met every was it like every month yeah two weeks yeah I believe we all met once a month where it kind of just felt like it was a support group for first year AP AP teachers and we all talked about you know so what do you need help with or you know what happened at this IEP meeting or how are you doing how are you doing in general so um I, I really I really like the the buddy um that I actually had two which was really nice um, it was a smooth transition and I felt like I didn't I didn't need to feel like I was drowning because there was always someone there to to you know give me a hand yeah I think kind of similarly to Elsie it was it was nice to you know have somebody there kind of holding your hand of like okay this is this is a school I, I also started in uh, in the middle of the school year so there was kind of a set schedule that first uh semester that I was there um so somebody to kind of go through and be like okay um, you know, this is this school, this is how it's going to kind of work. Um, even for my first IEP meeting, I had a lot of help from my uh, mentor. Uh, I know he even offered to be there at the IEP meeting. He, mm -hmm. you know, my, my, uh, PLPs, my goals and everything. And he's like, okay, no, you're, you're, you're good. Um, so it was nice to, you know, have that support and know that you weren't alone. Um, and like Elsie mentioned, we had that, uh, at least at LAUSD, you know, every month we would meet up um, and they would have kind of like a professional development, still kind of teaching us how to use, you know, Wellagent, how to use uh, ideas for different lessons. We would all kind of share bounced off ideas. And it was, it was nice to know that, you know, we weren't alone as first year teachers. There was a lot of other first year teachers there that maybe were also feeling the same way as, as, as you were. Um, I know sometimes, you know, I would see LC at some of the meetings and yeah. like, oh, we're actually having some of the similar uh, difficulties at the schools or, um, uh, you know, just bouncing off ideas. And you realize, you know, you're not alone. And and that was definitely a, a great support uh, from LAUSD. Yeah, and it was nice to see familiar faces because it was not just Ivan and I that knew each other. There was probably a total of like six of us that knew each other, that knew each other from undergrad. They're like, wow, we're here now. <laughs> we made it yeah. <laughs> all right real quick um regarding you know their uh situation is really unique in that they have over uh 200 ap teachers they have a lot of support they have monthly meetings they have a mentor their director is an ap teacher that taught there that's very unique one of the things that i think of when students are interviewing for jobs and, and that they need to uh, try to find out is what kind of support system do I have? And sometimes that's overlooked. And I, I, I can't stress that enough is that when our students are out there looking and they're trying to choose between two schools or districts or whatever, like which one's going to provide um, support is or supportive. Do you have a special ed director? You don't always know that, but you can talk to other uh, professionals in that district and find out. So I think that's an important point um, that was discussed. Yeah, great addition. Thanks, Barry.
All right, at this time now we're gonna transition to higher ed. And we have Lainey Case, who is at California State University. Chico, Lainey, I believe, are, are you in your second year now? Yep. All right, I'll give the floor to Lainey. She's gonna talk about her top lessons learned. Yeah, thank you. Um, right, so my name's Dr. Lainey Case. I am in my second year at Chico State and I'm in the Department of Kinesiology. And I'm teaching courses mostly within adapted physical activity, adapted physical education, and then in the PEAT program as well. Um, and I was putting together all the lessons I've learned and kind of drafting it. And there's so many to pick from that I'm trying to just focus on the lessons that I've learned that like really helped me in my first year and are continuing to help me. So um, the first one is, is to be open-minded. And I mean that in the sense of there's going to be so many things that come your way that are new courses to teach, new opportunities, new collaborations, things that you've never heard of before and never thought you would have interest in. And um, it's going to be, you know, depending on what it is, it might be tempting to say yes, it might be tempting to say no. But I, I encourage everyone in their first year to really be open-minded what comes their way because you never know what that might turn into, whether it's like a new skill or a new relationship with someone that has a similar interest as you. Um, and I, I say that, and I at the same time, I also want to clarify that I don't mean say yes to everything. I think that you have to be very critical and what you're um, open-minded to and say, okay, maybe I'll do that in a couple of years, or maybe I'll do that um, next month or next semester. So you still wanna set your own limits. Um, something that I found really helpful was to kind of set my own limits of really only saying yes to things that really interested me. Like I, I saw it and I was like, I know that I've been interested in this. This is going to be fun. This is gonna be great for me. Or maybe I don't have a, a clear interest in it, but I know that at some point it's really going to benefit me. Um, so some of the things that I said yes to were, you know, there's a, a few different department committees that I'm serving on that I didn't know what they were doing. But when I was asked to serve on them, I said yes and have learned so much about the department and the inner workings of it at this point that I never learned before. Um, I said yes to a couple certifications that you know, one being a mental health first aid certification that I just got invited to join from a, an email from the CSU system. And I ended up having to use skills that I learned in that within the first semester that I was here. So um, that th those are just some examples. Um, the next lesson that probably has been the most key for me, and I, I would really encourage it, um, this is actually something that I learned from my mentors at Oregon State when I got my PhD there. And um, this was to prepare ahead, ahead of time before you start your position for your first couple years to be incredibly heavy with teaching. Um, or at least there, there's going to be a lot on your plate with teaching courses. Um, and this might be different for what university you're at. Like Chico State is a teaching university. 
a research university, it might not be exactly the same. Samantha could probably speak to that a little bit more. But coming in to teach here, I, you know, I got offered three different courses that I had only had experience teaching lectures within in one of them. So you have to keep in mind that you're going to, when you get offered those classes or when you have courses that you have to teach, if you've never taught them before, which is most likely what's going to happen, you're going to have to prep for the class. And you're also going to have to kind of teach yourself the content or reteach yourself the content and then teach it to everyone else. So it can be really heavy. Um, and when you're in higher education positions, um, you are evaluated on your teaching, but you're also evaluated in other areas like research and service, and you're expected to be productive in a lot of areas. So what I mean by prepare ahead is I actually kind of timed out some manuscripts and writing and projects and different service opportunities to set my, I set myself up so that when I actually got here and started this position, I really could just focus on teaching and productivity was still kind of naturally coming through without me having to really get nervous about not maintaining productivity in other areas. So that was something that, that really has made this last year. Um, it's given me kind of the flexibility to actually focus on teaching. And that's really been an awesome opportunity to focus on teaching in a, in a university setting like this. Um, all right. So my third one, these last two are kind of, you know, it goes without saying, but they were very helpful for me to focus on. So the third one is to put in the extra time to support your students. Um, I've, I learned being in this position and kind of be on the, on the other side of being a student that students need your support and they want your support. And at the same time, they're not always that comfortable with asking you for it or they don't know how to ask for it. So I had to be really comfortable with trying to observe which of those students needed that extra help and experimenting with, you know, how can I provide them a little bit of extra support? Um, and Sometimes it, it can be easy to, you know, notice that one of your students is needing that support and you're like, oh, I don't have time for this. I have to go do this project or this teaching. But I found that putting in that extra support and, you know, sending them an email and asking how they're doing or, you know, making modifications to your own lecture so that they can understand that better. It ended up building a rapport with students that has really set them up for success and also taught me a lot about the mentor I want to be. So I really encourage you to do that. Um, and then this last one, create, create and maintain your life outside of work. Um, there's always something to do with work. And that was always told to me by my professors, by my mentors. And I was just like, okay, yeah, there's, there's all this stuff to do, but really you finish one thing and then you get 10 more emails about 10 more things you have to do. And it's just, there's always something that you can do. And if you focus only on doing that, that is all you're going to do and it can affect your life. And um, so I really encourage you to find the things, even, even if it's small, but I, um, I started coaching a couple of gymnastics classes recently because that's something that I find really fun and allows me to get away from work and 
Um, I, I started doing agility classes with my dog. Um, but I've noticed that when I try to actually purposely do things outside of work, my work actually becomes better. Um, so I really encourage you to be proactive about that. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Lainey. Um, I resonate with a lot of the lessons you learned. I'm also at a, a teaching institution here at Long Beach State, and you're you're absolutely right. The first few years, it's very, very heavy teaching prep. And one unique thing about adapted PE, we have a lot of different classes. You know, mm -hmm. we're not like maybe exercise science who yeah. teaches the one class and has a variety of you know sections but it's the same class like we're teaching three if eventually maybe even four different classes um and so that's a lot of prep mm -hmm. and also you brought a, a good point that a lot of people who go and get their phd in ape and they're like oh i'm going to teach ape but you don't recognize mm -hmm. you're probably going to be teaching like general pe classes or intro to kinesiology classes that mm -hmm. there are Kind of very few institutions where your caseload is going to be like APE only. Yep. Um, so yeah, great points. I also see Barry's here, and Barry gave me great advice. Uh, he was my mentor when I first started, and he told me the phrase like "What's worth doing?" And you mentioned that a lot. Uh, you know, like what's going to make an impact? What what's worth your time? Because that's sort of your most valuable resource. Mm -hmm. Um, an another good tip that you kind of brought up as well would one thing I like to do with regards to, cause you mentioned we have to juggle service and teaching and, uh, research. One good tip that, um, again, Barry kind of helped me realize is doing the double dip, meaning maybe we're putting on a service learning program, like our after-school program, but I'm going to collect data there. It's a service program. Maybe it's a triple dip even. It's a service <laughs> learning program for the community. Um, I am teaching a class, uh, but also I am collecting some data for research. So that's one way that um, I found, at least in Adapted PE, we can kind of check all those boxes. Uh, and I, I like to do a lot of data collection. Typically, my data collection happens over the summer at our summer camp. It just, you know, I'm not teaching any other classes. And so I have, you know, the time you know, the resources are right here at our summer camp. And that tends to be, a, I guess, a trick, if you will, how I found to collect some data and it tended to be, tends to be the, the best time. So thank you so much, Lainey. Mm -hmm. um, our, our next higher ed speaker is Samantha. Uh, and you are at an R1 institution. So a research intensive institution. And so this is maybe a little different perspective than what Lainey brought us. So Samantha, thank you for joining us. I'll give you the floor. Yeah, surprisingly, we're all in different places, but many of the same lessons are stranding throughout all of them and are resonating um, from what everyone shared. So um, yes, I am at an R1 research institution at West Virginia University. I have a 40% research load, 40% teaching and 20% service. So I teach a two-two load, uh, two classes in the fall, two in the spring. Um, and I'm starting, I'm in my fourth year. Um, and so I'm gonna echo what a lot of others have said, but maybe in the context of a research heavy position, my 
first uh, kind of point to make is to really know who to ask questions to and don't be afraid to ask them. Um, so I felt annoying in my first year about like, oh my gosh, do I have to send one more minor email because I don't know where to find this form or if I'm allowed to do this thing. And I just kind of had to get over that and ask the questions. And a year later or two years later, it's like, I now know which point people to go to. I've got my resources, but I almost felt like people were grateful that I was willing to ask the question up front and not let things trickle or get out of hand or I'd forget something because I was too afraid to ask the question. So ask the question and then know who to ask the question to and build up your network of resources and mentors. So I have on the screen, it's a really cool tool from the faculty and diversity website. Um, and I can share that, but it's essentially like a mind map on there of different types of mentors. So some people you're gonna really go to as your emotional support, like I'm burnt out, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm having imposter syndrome, I like someone to vent to and really have a bad day with. But then you're gonna have others where I need to know, I don't know what my next step is as a professional and I feel like I'm falling behind. How are you gonna help? Like, who can I ask to help map that out? Or I really wanna get this project started, who's gonna be my substantive like collaborator or willing to be a co-author on these papers. So I found it helpful to recognize that not one mentor is gonna serve every purpose, but that when I do need someone, I know who's in my corner for that support. Um, so kind of a good exercise um, and a resource to share there. My second tip is that, like many have said, you are going to be very overwhelmed in the first year and it is okay to be an active observer. So I felt like I had to go in and like change my classes or start something new or take on all of these projects. But really what was most beneficial to me was to sit and observe and take in information. And some advice that I got was like, maybe over the next five years, you change the course 10% every year. And that 10% is trying a new activity, a new textbook, a new teaching strategy within the classroom, a new way that you split your time, um, and really invest in that 10% change and see where that builds and grows rather than trying to change everything at once. Um, but I was not prepared to make that 10% change in the first year. I needed to first get a hold of what the course structure was, what my research plan was going to be, um, before I thought of even starting any of those initiatives intentionally. Um, and so with that comes also saying no, which Lainey really highlighted on. So another kind of image on my slide is that like funny graphic of, do you really have time to try this new shiny new thing or get on this committee or jump on this project? Um, and you think you do. And the reality is, is like, you might need someone to tell you, you actually don't have that time and that's okay. Um, and again, in that first year, you feel like you're not doing anything, but actively observing and collecting information is doing something. So it's okay to feel like that's kind of where your time is invested and not feel like you're just sitting around because you are being active in that first year. Um, and then my last point um, was a challenge that I really underwent personally was 
especially as a PhD student pushing all the way through academics, like you kind of are told what that measure is for success of the next benchmark is this paper. The next benchmark is your degree. You need to get the job. You're aiming for this accomplishment. Once you're in the faculty role, it feels very nebulous as to what my like stepping stones are. And everyone's orbiting in their own like independent paths and you don't really know who you're measuring up against or what that metric is. And there's a lot of pressure, whether you've perceived it or it's being told to you um, that like there's these very lofty goals to be working towards. And so I had a really good team of, of supporters and other students and, and friends who were really to kind of wrestle with that a little bit and say, like, is it important to me to be a top publisher in the top journals? Is it important to me to be winning awards? Is it important to me that I have name recognition in the field and people know who I am, um, that I'm getting big grants? And if those things are not important, there are markers that are still successful and I will still progress in this career. And I'm still being rated in my annual reviews as good or excellent. Um, but I'm now feeling a lot better about what I'm working towards is something that's making me happy and that I feel accomplished with and that they're not external markers for me. So, there's some other great resources on that website. And I think really taking time to talk to your mentors and friends about what are my goals and what am I gonna use to say today I was successful and this year I've really made progress um, that you can be proud of and that you can feel successful with um, without feeling like that's all coming externally or you're never living up to whatever these expe expectations are. Great. Thank you so much, Samantha, for sharing. Yeah. Um, a lot of great points there. Um, loved the, you know, your first year, kind of just take it all in. That is so very true. Don't come in and feel like you have to like, you know, completely overhaul anything. Just that first year, take it all in and be patient and observe. Um, absolutely right. One other thing about our profession is I think a lot of people are really um, open to sharing. So like sharing PowerPoint, sharing resources, collaborating, like don't hesitate to make that cold call that if you know someone in the field is researching something that you have an interest in, like, hey, you want to collaborate and do that. A lot of people in our field are very open and willing. So um, yeah. And I'm really great just sharing the rewards too. Like there are people want to co-author. And so, okay, you're going to take the heavy lift on this project. And I'm going to take the heavy lift over here, but we're both going to share in having authorship on two publications. Um, and I don't know if that's unique to our field, but it's something I'm I'm really grateful for is we we do share. Right, and even like practitioners with lesson plans, etc. Yes. Like, just ask. People usually will say yes. Um, you know, you're never going to get those resources if you are afraid to ask. All right, at this time, we'll open it up for some questions. Yeah, Barry. So I just think this is a great session, and Melissa, it's 
these are the kind of issues the collaborative uh, podcast should be doing, like issues like this. And and um, Samantha and, and Lainey and Elsie and Ivan, great, great presentations and, and discussions. Um, just real quick with Elsie and and Ivan, um, one of the things that I really struggled with with preparing teachers and I learned very quickly is that every AP delivery service model in different districts is very different. And it, it, a lot of the students don't understand that and that they, they only know what they see. And one of the things that was great about Elsie and, and Ivan and students is they would go out there and try to gain as many experiences as they could and they would volunteer for things, but you can't do everything and you can't, you know, prepare because to be an adaptive PE teacher, you've got to know K through um, transition, and you've got to know 13 dis disabilities. And for us to, to prepare them for that, it can be really uh, challenging. And sometimes I would get students that would say, well, I I'm just interested in working with secondary students. I says, it doesn't work like that, you know, especially you're going to be an itinerant. So I think that that's a really, um, in what I would really try to stress to people and really try to get my students to gain as many experiences and to say yes to as many things as as possible. But then on the other flip side of that with the university um, is can you say yes to everything? And Samantha brought up a good point is that what's worth, you know, I always would tell Melissa, what's worth doing and what do you feel uh, strongly about? You can't be everything. You can't be real strong in grants and, and, and strong in, 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 in publications and teaching. And, and you'll have years where maybe you emphasize certain things and maybe looking at the longevity of your career. And that, that's the thing that's hard to do when you're in the beginning stages of your career is just looking at this as a journey and that you're going to be into it for 20 to 30 years, you know. And so certain years I would you know, I'd set goals every August and say, these next couple of years, I'm going to focus on this or I'm going to do this. And um, uh, and, and Lady brought up a really good point about your first couple of years uh, saying yes or no or, or working with people. And I remember this really interesting thing is my first year, uh, this full professor at a major university asked me to develop an assessment tool with him. And my major professor said one of the things that is really hard to do and developing assessment tools can really take a long time. That's something you might want to really give some thought. And that wasn't really uh, I wanted to do it. And I remember um, talking to my wife about it and she just looked at me and said, here's a full professor that wants to work with you. How can you say no? You know, and some really good things, uh, you know, came of that. So uh, I think that's a, a really good point. But. Sometimes I said yes to some things and I got burnt like by some people. And so you got to know once you get that team or that writing team. And I was very lucky because, you know, um, if you can get with a team of people that you trust, that's the most important thing. And that, you know, the point that Samantha is sometimes one person's going to take the load. Another person is. But sometimes you end up taking the load all the time. You know, so those are all, all great points. Last thing is the point you made about multiple mentors. Um, that's a really good point because um, I, I would tell Melissa that there's some things I you know, don't know as much about as, as, as you think I do. Um, the other thing I think that a mentor could really do your, your first year, because I got really aggravated, 
I didn't really have a mentor and it would take me maybe five or six phone calls to find out something. And one of the things I said to Melissa is contact me. I can probably tell you in one phone call who you should talk to rather than going through. We don't do phone. You know, the problem with your generation is you don't do phone calls like email. But back when I was uh, anyway, that's a whole nother topic. But so some great points. These are the kind of issues that we should be talking about more like in these these, um, uh, collaboratives. and, And it was great. Thanks, Barry. Great. Yeah. Great, insightful reflection. One additional thing that I don't think we have brought up yet is don't forget you all are in the honeymoon phase being in your first few years. Ask for things. Apply for those like internal grants. I'm telling you that usually those first few years, you know, they want to keep you happy, keep you around. All You know, all they can do is say no. And oftentimes those first few years, they're going to say yes, because you are in that, you know, sweet honeymoon phase. Um, So apply for those internal grants, ask for that piece of equipment or a particular assessment that maybe your district doesn't have. Great point. A couple of times I told Melissa that I said, you got a better chance of getting it than I do. They're they're like, you know, they're tired of me asking. So. Audience, any other questions you have for our panelists? Let's talk a little bit about the, Lainey brought up the research versus teaching and the point that Oregon State made about um, juggling like your scholarship, you know, because I always try to have uh, a few things going, you know, like I'm collecting data here, I'm working on an article here. Like this date is going to take a while. And then like in year two, I'm going to do that. I really tried to sit down with Melissa and say, let's plan out your next five years or three years. And she'd have this whiteboard up on the thing. And, and, and that can be haunting, you know, like saying that, Hey, let's plan out your next five years when you're saying I'm still trying to find, you know, my office, you know? Um, but I think that's a really good point. And that's, if you could get some, somebody that's, that's been in higher ed for a while, like to talk with you about that and how you go about uh, doing that. But that, again, that gets into like, it's a journey, you know, and you don't have to do everything the first three years, you know, and I'll also add that I, I also at one point had to sit down and be like, sometimes my teaching prep is good enough, right? Yeah. When it comes to balance, like if teaching is 40% of my time and I am responsible for these other outcomes, then I probably need to learn when to stop prepping and, and, and know that like, I am prepared. I know this material. I have 10 years of training on above and beyond what my students walking in the door have. So I can probably meet them where they're at with an hour of prep. I don't need five hours of prep. And that has helped too with saying, here's my time over here and here's my time over here. Great point, well, Samantha. A lesson it. plan, yeah, is is never done. Let's be real. And we can totally paralysis through analysis. And, and you're right. Now, all of a sudden, it's a time suck. And we've spent five hours on a lesson prep when, yeah, you're right. Great, great point there. Sorry, Barry, you had something else? Well, I think initially, my first year, I was fresh out of PhD program. And I was going to, in my intro to adaptive P class, I was going to teach them everything that a PhD student should know. And I started like around Thanksgiving, I looked at my syllabus and I said, my God, you know, like I've, I've got to figure out that they don't need to know some of these things. And um, 
And so I think a lot of first, second year uh, professors really struggle with that. It's like, it, uh, to me, it takes you, you need to teach a class at least three times before, before you find that right uh, pace and the right number of, of, you know, the 16 weeks or whatever it is of, of what should be in that uh, area. Yeah, I started, my class starts at nine. I came into the class, to the office at seven and I taught with whatever prep I got done before that. Cause at the day before, if I prepped, I'd stay late after work and invest the time. And so I had to like physically constrain my time and then say, I'm doing a good job if I am two weeks ahead of my class in prep. I do oh, not two weeks. Are you serious? <laughs> that, for, that first year? No, no. The first year that you teach, like if I am yeah, an a, hour. a day, an yeah. hour, right? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's reality the first year. Maybe okay. after you, like you very said, after you taught, taught it two or three years, absolutely be in a few weeks ahead. But that first year, no. <laughs> yeah. um, let's get back to like Elsie and, and Ivan like talked about putting their schedule together. So one of the other things that's really interesting is if you guys remember, we had an assignment of like one of the assignments I had to do is put a schedule together, but nobody gets like a lot of the assignments I have you do, you, you kind of look at that and okay, you know, but you don't realize like how important that is and, and how different and how those things are really challenging. And no matter how many times, you know, your professor tells you that, uh, the majority of teaching in the public schools is paperwork. That's another thing. It's like some special ed directors don't even care if you can teach as long as you're in compliance with your paperwork. And and it and uh, I know that my students would just look at me like, ah, oh, he's just making that up, you know, or that's not true. You, you have to experience that stuff. I really struggled with, you know, how do I get my students to realize and understand this thing? It's something they have to go through. Or not factoring enough time between yeah. travel between classes or not factoring enough time to set up your equipment <laughs> as you're traveling to the new school. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely was thinking about you, Dr. LeVay, and I was creating my schedules. I remember doing that assignment. I said, oh, well, you know, there was the hypothetical schools and in an ideal world, my schedule would be like this. It wasn't until I sat down and I had my caseload and I looked at the service page and I was okay. I didn't know I had to work around the third period that I have. And I didn't know that I have to, you know, this is how far this school would be. But um, I, I definitely thought about you and, and that assignment did help me out. But sometimes, you know, that was a long time until I got to that point when I took your class that a lot of the things just go over your head. And it's not until you're in that, in that situation that you try to think back to that assignment and you're like, well, I don't know, let's figure this out right now. Cause that's, I need to. <laughs> it's funny. I look at some of my students teaching schedule and I go, yeah, good luck with this teaching schedule. Like where this is that utopia school district, you know, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. So. Right. Uh, in the chat, I put a URL. If you have a, NICPEAD APE Collaborative Idea. We'd love to hear about future topics that we can host. A huge thank you again to Samantha, Lainey, Elsie, and Ivan. Much appreciated you all sharing the insights that you've learned from your first few years of teaching. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll be back in November 
Um, the tentative plan is to do a, a session on assistive technology. So some low-tech visuals, some high-tech switches. So we'll be learning more about that in November date and time to be determined. So thanks all for joining us. Until next time, bye all. Bye.